Welcome to another episode of Steve's Speech Up. Hey, we're on Patreon. And that means you can help to ensure the continued survival of the show by making a modest financial contribution. There are some expenses uh, involved in doing the show. Not many, but um, basically, if you want to hear Speed Shop from now and into the future, get on Patreon and bung us some cash. My guest this week is Joe Mears. Joe is a mate of mine and he's in the business of restoring cars. He's one of those people, again, who was just flabbergasted when I asked him to come on the show. But he's in the business of restoring cars and he does so at a very high level of skill and ability and experience. And so I wanted him to come on and explain in some ways the dark arts of car restoration. That's not what happened. But in many ways, it's more interesting, and I am going to get him back. It was a lot of fun for us too, and I hope it is for you as well. My guest this week on Speed Show, my man, Joe Mears. A little window into the world of Speed Shop and how it's done. Yeah. Believe it or not, we do broadcast from a proper studio right in the centre of Manchester. In fact, my guest today, Joe, said, uh, I'm looking at a casino. I said, well, you're in Manchester's Chinatown, so you, you're going to have to narrow it down. Do you know, literally, just across the street is the biggest betting shop in Britain. Is it really? I'll show it you. There it's you go. massive. You look at it and you think, who could ever need a betting shop that big? Manchester's Chinese community. They love to gamble. They do, don't they? And karaoke. There's a karaoke bar <laughs> in the corner. And uh, one Tuesday night, I was in there doing Hazy Shade of Winter with Justin Lee Collins. And my mate said, about a year later, he said, standing there, half drunk, watching you and Justin Lee Collins absolutely nail Hazy Shade of Winter. It's one of the strangest and most wonderful experiences of my relatively long life. I would have liked to have seen that. Well, it's not going to happen again. I think Justin went off to Scotland to live there. and right. uh, Very talented guy. Let's not get into why he's not around anymore. But uh, instead, get back to where you're from. And yes. I think you gave a bit of a clue in that you, you just admitted to having Marmite for breakfast. I did, yes. Because that's what we do. When, when producer Paul gets us in the studio, he'll say, right, let me just do a mic check. And, uh, and he'll go, what did you have for breakfast? And I go, porridge, like that. And, he, and so porridge isn't enough for a mic check. So I'll go, with kedgeri and uh, <laughs> a past of, uh, you know, various smoked meats from around the world. <laughs> right, so, and then the guest... You admitted to Marmite. Marmite. So I'm going to say the colonies, some sort of colony. And I know Marmite usually betrays a Kiwi or an Aussie. I'm from down south. Uh, not the not like south-south, not like Auckland, Southampton. Yeah. So what's with having Marmite for breakfast? Where's that I've come always from? had it since I, was, since I can remember. You're a beast. I love it. It's oh. great stuff, yeah. Oh, all over the toast, great stuff. Yeah. So, Southampton, was it, was it, was there a reason that you were there, or is Well, it that's just... why I was born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, Steve, there's yeah. a reason I was there. Yeah. It's because that's where I was born. I didn't born. have much choice. <laughs> I didn't really have much choice. Do you know what? I, um, I recently had to go to a hospital where I was born, yeah. and somebody said to me, do you know where it is? I said, yeah, I was born there. And he paused, and he went... 
Well, that's no guarantee of you knowing where it is. Right. <laughs> I said to him, you make a very good point. I said, but all three of my kids were also born there. He well, said, right. Well, if you don't know where it is, it's probably because you've, like, lost your marbles right, or banged, yeah. banged your head on something really hard. I would hope that you would know where it is. After I did. I knew exactly where yeah. it was. Yeah. In fact, um, right, let's, let's make a, a note of this, because as a regular listener to the show, you'll know. First mention of Top Gear... We haven't even got three minutes in. All right. <laughs> we were filming an art, an item for BBC Television's hugely, uh, in fact, I was going to say hugely popular, Guinness Book of Records popular. Do you know it's the most watched factual programme? That's pushing it a bit factual, but it's down as a factual programme, huh. and it's officially the world's most watched factual programme. I used to get the annuals every year when I was a kid. More than Blue Planet, more than all these... You know, it, it, Game of Thrones and things like that absolutely murder it. But in terms of, I use the word every time I use the word factual in relation to the current incarnation of the program, it makes me feel a bit nauseous because it's not really, is it? It's just well, a bit of fun. Yeah. But anyway, it's the most watched factual program in the world. So we're making a, a an item about in-car entertainment, the history of, and. Um, so we start, you know, we had a 57 Chevy with a record player in it. Love those there cars. Re- there were record players. Yeah. Who Co- knew? Coffee machines. Coffee machines. Volkswagen had a coffee machine you could buy, you could put on your dashboard. Are you sure about yeah. that? Yeah, I've, I, seen photo, I, I've seen a photo no, of it. No, I've seen photos <laughs> of that recently. Is it not real? I'm not That's sh- disappointing if it's I'm not, not real. I'm not sure. I think it's, I think it's, fi- I think it's Photoshop. Is it really? Yeah, oh, I, I can't. no. Well, can you imagine how much steam would would get on the windscreen. Well, that happens anyway on the old cars, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it depends, doesn't it? It, it depends. Are you... Um, are you? Uh, anyway, get back to this Top Gear item. I was going to yes. ask you if you're a windows open or a windows shut kind of guy, but I'll, we'll come back to that in a second. Um, I think I know the answer. So we're making this film about the history of in-car entertainment, and it was the day uh, that my son and heir was due to be born. So I said to the team, I said, hey, team, why don't we film it like... In Berry Lancashire, because blah, 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 blah. Actually, there was a good reason, because there was a pub called the Swan and Cemetery, uh, which is great name for a pub. I can't, yeah. I can't imagine there's another pub in How Britain. How did they figure that, that out? Right, well, they did. Yeah. Well, it's on the River Irwell, and it's by the cemetery. Oh, so right, there you presumably, go. at one yeah. point, there was a swan. <laughs> there was, there's always been the cemetery. So, um, and it had still had cobbles, and it hadn't been horribly disfigured with, like, big signs saying two-for-one steak night, Tuesday's not. It was lovely. So we wanted something that looked recognisably between the wars. And I said, there's this lovely pub. It could be 1934. And I went along and they said, oh, yeah, you can film here. Because what we wanted to do was we wanted somebody to be on the first floor holding an aerial while I, <laughs> I listened to my radio <laughs> in, the car, in the car, which is what we did. And we had a, so we had a 57 Chevy. We had, what did we have the eight-track? I think it was a TR7. No, it was a Granada, Ford Granada for the eight track. History of in-car entertainment. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my son was born halfway through the uh, halfway through the proceedings. So we got the call. My father called me from the hospital and he said, get, get here now. 
So me and the crew went, and the crew, the cameraman just kept the camera rolling. We walked into the hospital, <laughs> and I got the whole thing on film really? of me, of literally, my son had literally, our timing was perfect. Just popped out, and there you are. Yeah, we weren't around for all the screaming and the and the, and the all that sort of right. stuff, which, you know, please don't think that's a misogynist remark. It's far from it. One of the best, best things about being a man is that you don't have to give birth. <laughs> I mean, I've been there three times. Well, no, two two times. And uh, I don't, I literally don't know how women survive it. Never mind. Anyway, never mind, do it again after they've done it once. Well, yeah. You know. <laughs> but in the video, I'm dressed as a, a 1930s type person. Because people have said to me, why are you dressed as though it's 1934? Because <sighs> I'm wearing a big cable knit sweater and one of those flying jackets that makes everyone look fat. You know those RAF flying jackets? With the furry collar? Yeah, yeah. Oh, those are Every great. Every single person that's ever put one of those on has thought, I look fat. Yeah. And there's a reason. It was supposed to be worn over like four or five layers of clothing. Yeah, so they're always too big. Yeah, because yeah. you were at 30,000 feet or whatever, and it, in an unpressed... Well, no, you couldn't be at that. Could you be at that attitude? Not in an unpressurised oh, no, cabin, no. You, no, you wore a mask, didn't you? Wore, I'm not sure if they went to 30,000 Positive. Somebody will tell us. Somebody <laughs> yeah. who knows about aviation will go, bloody hell, Barry. <laughs> Ignorant pig. <laughs> Thought you knew about the Lancasters and, Avro, you know, AVRO. We're not far from their first factory. Is that near here, is it? Yeah. 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 The Verdon, the Verdon Row. Who, of course, a lot of people know the name Verdon Row from motor racing, from back in, you know, various generations of, of racers have had that proud name. But most people uh, would know it from the. Avro, as people say, AVRO, Lancaster, and various other fine aircraft that were originally made just around the corner from here. We could walk there in like 10 minutes, just just down the road there. That's great. Not anymore. Not anymore. But here's the thing as well. What were we talking about? In-car entertainment. In-car entertainment, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a tape cassette player in my van. I don't no own, own any tape cassettes. Well, let me ask you that question. Are you a Windows down guy or a Windows up guy when you're driving? Down. Right. And does it cause problems? For me? Probably the passengers, but not so much for no, me. No, that's what I was going to say. For you, windows shut or windows open, that's your choice. Turn the heat up, windows down. I don't know why I do that. It's just something I've always liked doing. It's It just feels more natural to drive that way. I'm you a can hear more. I'm a windows down kind of guy yeah. as well. It causes issues. Yeah. Put that window up. No. No. <laughs> it gets stuffy. Especially at night, when you're driving at night, I'm a windows yeah. down kind of guy. Unless it's like absolutely, you know. If there's some more spirited driving going on, the, the windows have to be down. They absolutely have. You can hear the engine more. It's the only problem is, windows down and spirited driving, uh, it makes my pipe burn furiously. It makes you what? My pipe. Your pipe. Oh, you, your pipe. Yeah, you see me smoking a pipe. Yes, yes. Otherwise people find it odd. I took to a, right, so I took to a pipe nearly 20 years ago. When I hit 40, I thought, right, I'm 40. That's a bit rubbish. But also, you can do things that you can't do under 40. Like, you can't wear a Panama hat when you're under 40. You look ridiculous. Over 40, looks kind of cool. It's acceptable. Yeah, smoking a pipe. Wearing a cravat. I'll occasionally wear a cravat. Not that often, to be honest with you. Just if it's, you know, there's a bit of dressing up. I don't mind that. Like, there's a lot of events, aren't there, now, where they go, oh, uh, could you uh, could you come along dressed up? Uh, period correct. Period clothing. correct. Yeah, right. I've got to tell you a story about that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get on to you in a minute. All right. <laughs> let's learn a bit more about me. Let's talk some more about you, Listen, shall we, Steve? It's not about me. Right. It's about an event that yes. happens in my hometown. 
which is the site of, and I was brought up right next to it, and we'll get up to what you were brought up right next to in a second in Southampton, but this is Bury Lancashire, the site of the world's longest continually operating mo- uh, railway sheds, Buckley Wells in Bury. Okay. And that is confirmed by no less a person than the late great, and why the bloody hell didn't he get a knighthood, Fred Dibner? Why didn't Fred get a knighthood? They hand them out to these sports personalities. Fred single-handedly revived an interest in Britain's industrial heritage, didn't he? I have More absolutely single- no idea who you're talking about. You don't know who Fred Dibner is? No, you have to understand... Out of this studio <laughs> right now! I've, How dare you, I've sir! I've spent more time not living in this country than I have living in this country. Right, I'll tell you Fred Dibner is up. There are people throwing things at the radio right now. I'm sure there are, How yeah. can Steve Who is have... this guy? Why have you got him on the How show? How can Steve have somebody on who hasn't <laughs> heard of Fred? <laughs> Basically, Fred made programmes. I mean, originally been the subject of programmes. Do you know what Fred was? He was like a 1970s and 1980s and 1990s Guy Martin. Oh, really? So he was somebody who originally was the subject of programmes and then started presenting them. Okay. Although, if you watch Guy, he doesn't present. He's observed. Right. So he doesn't address the camera in the way that, that say... A presenter would. Dan Snow would. Yeah. Know. But uh, I like Dan Snow. I met him on a plane once. They upgraded us to first class, <laughs> me, me and him. But they left. I was on my own. Was that because of Dan or because of you that you got the upgrade? It was because a middle-aged man was in charge of upgrading. Okay. And, he, and he went, oh, look, there's Dan Snow. He recognised him straight away. And then he saw and recognised me. He was like, that's Steve Berry. Oh, whoever. He was like, anyway, he upgraded me. Uh, and when we got in first class, me and Dan had a very brief conversation in which he admitted that they left his crew in economy. His really? Crew, oh, yeah. wow. That's stardom. That's when, you've, that's when you've reached the top. Well, he said, this is going to cost me. And I went, <laughs> Buy a few beers that way. I was on my own, so it didn't matter. Where were we? Talking about whether you should have the windows up or down. Right, down. Yeah, but it causes issues. It's the same as at home, isn't it? Well, I don't smoke a pipe, and most of the time I'm driving by myself, so it's all right. (laughs) (laughs) So... You were born in Southampton. I was born in Southampton, But yeah. you don't know who Fred Dibner is. So no, where lo- the hell were you in the bit between being born and now that you found out well, that Fred in- Dibner <laughs> was the man who, and I'll say it again, single, well, not single-handedly, his producer David Hall should get some credit, uh, single-handedly revived an interest in Britain's industrial past and proved that Buckley Wells at Bury was an R, and it's where Flying Scotsman not the Flying Scotsman. Stop saying that. It's Flying Scotsman. There's no definitive. It's like people who say the Buzzcocks or, you know, whatever. Right. They're worse than Hitler. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> I le- where were you between being born in Southampton and just finding out who Fred Dibner is now? I left England when I was 13. I lived in Spain for a few years. I lived in New York. I lived in Connecticut. And I've, I've very rarely watched TV either. I've always been a very active, outdoorsy, go-out-and-do-stuff person. So there's probably a lot of people that I've never heard of. So you moved to you moved to Spain at, a, at like a pivotal point in any petrol heads uh, sort of career because that's when you're really sort of deciding what you like and what you're into and, and what you're going to get as soon as you get your licence. It was motorcycles when I lived in Spain because that's that's the life over there. Everybody's on scooters and motorcycles, yeah. so I was bike mad when I lived over there. Yeah, 
so uh, there are always tales of underage adventures on the uh, the public highway. So, oh yeah, I didn't oh, have a license. I didn't yeah, have anything. Of course it's, you didn't. But back then, you could get away with that. You couldn't do it now over Spain. They'd catch you right away. But right. you know, you just you'd see a Guardia Seville and go straight for the mountains. That was it. And that's when the adventure really begun. So what were you on? Were you on a sanglass, he said, thinking of a... Sp- or an osser or a bull tarco? I had the one, two, five, two stroke, and, and after that I had a... Hey, hold on. Um, that's, not, that's not bad knowledge of Spanish-made motorcycles, isn't it? I, I think the only one I missed out there, did I say bull tarco? Osser, bull tarco, sanglass, Montessa. Montessa. There, I've got the lot yeah, for lives. Yeah. Aprilia RS250. What a bike, you're that, joking. Yeah, that was, RS250, Aprilia. That was a lot of fun. The V-Twin, Yeah, he said, I'm doing a V-Twin yeah. thing with my fingers. <laughs> it's like, the V-Twin, Joe. Yeah, that was a great bike. What a great bike. Yeah, yeah. I ran over a cat. I'd love to get another one, but they're so expensive now. I ran over a cat on the launch of that in Italy. Did you really? Yes. <laughs> Not deliberately, right? Please, for goodness sake, I'm going to get hate mail. Right, I would hate to run over any animal, but particularly cats, right? Because my missus is a real cat person. I am too. Yeah, and I've always had cats. I was mildly horrified, but the poor thing, it's a bit of a horrible story. The poor thing had already been hit by another vehicle, and oh, I'm dear. sure it was completely brown bread. Rough day. But it threw it into my lane, and I just went straight over it, and it was quite a big cat. Well, you performed a service, you put it out of its misery. Nearly, nearly came off. We, we were riding exuberantly. Yeah. So it was like, you know, sometimes um, speed, they go, oh, speed kills. Sometimes speed saves you. Yeah. Uh, on a bike? Yeah, yeah because if, if you it, launch it over a cat, it will keep the bike upright if you're going fast, won't it? A lot of people don't realise. They think the faster a bike goes, the less stable it is. It's more stable. It's more stable. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, up to a certain degree. Yeah. <laughs> up, to well, a certain, up to a certain degree. the rotation of the wheel cr- creates the stability, doesn't it? <laughs> what is it? Centripedal force? Or it's, is it centrifugal centri- force? <laughs> I get mixed up. <laughs> it's a gyroscopic effect. That's exactly let's leave, what it is. Right, let's leave it yeah. there. It's a gyroscopic yeah. effect. You can't have just started at an RS250. That's far too far up the food chain. There must have been rubbish bikes before that. Well, yeah, those little 50cc yeah, dirt yeah, yeah. bikes and stuff stuff yeah. like that, and, you know, riding your friends' bikes, because everybody had bikes and scooters, and, you know, nobody taught taught you how to ride. You just jumped on it and did it. And yeah. I'd probably, I'd probably a terrible rider if, if some... So is your dad Spanish? My my stepfather is half Spanish, half American. Right, right. Yeah. So hence the moving around. Yes, hence the moving around. He's a, he was a pilot, so ah. it's a very sporadic job being a pilot, and, yeah. and, and we went wherever the, the yeah, jobs yeah, yeah. were. Well, my missus's father, Bryce, a fine Scottish chappy, uh, we get on pretty well, me and him. We see eye to eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, he's a big man for the whiskey. Yeah. He's Scottish. But um, me and him generally sit around telling stories, drinking, which annoys the hell out of my missus, uh, drinking um, Japanese whiskey. We've got a real... Uh, that's good ri- stuff. Yeah, the old Suntory, some of that. I'm not sure if that's the one I've had, but I've had a couple. Yeah, well, a good friend of ours. Joe and I know each other. I, I don't know any everyone who comes on the show. Please don't think that. A lot of people I've never even met yeah. in, in, in real life. I've met them through social media or whatever. But Joe and I know each other, and a, a good friend of ours is a real man for the whiskey, isn't he? Yes, the pro- quite a selection. <laughs> yeah, the problem is, I always think, right, I'll take him something he's not got, you know. And it always ends up being something he's got. I yeah, go goes, through the same thing every time. He'll go and get it. That's yeah. annoy- annoyingly, he'll go, oh, oh, great, thanks. He, he like, opens the 
if you can be bothered to gift wrap it, he'll open it up and go, oh, yeah, this is really good stuff. And yeah. then he goes off and he goes, I've already got it, and well, shows you the other bottle. The solution to that problem is I end up drinking the bottle that ah! I brought over so there's not double on the shelf. I once did that with Carl Fogarty, the four-time World Superbike champion. I've heard of him, yeah. <laughs> and the uh, winner of ITV's I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Was he on that as well? He won it. Carl won it. I didn't watch it, but I knew he'd won it because it was in the papers. Right, OK. Right. Yeah, so... Uh, you're making out I'm some sort of telly addict because I knew that. No, Carl I just won. I am just the complete opposite of, of yeah, I, watching a lot of TV. I don't watch a lot of TV. No. I like I watch a lot of movies. I'm a real movie fan. I do like a good film, and yeah. I do like to sit down and watch a Pathé newsreel about the 19 whatever it was Targa Florio or Carrera Pan America. Oh, that's great fun to watch the, that, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Or the, the TT, especially the TT. The TT is an incredible thing to watch. It's here's probably, here's uh, the tough of ne- toughest nail Scotsman. What happened to Ginny those people's Guthrie. voices? Why don't they talk like that anymore? I love it. And, and, and the same with the American videos. You watch the really old ones and they've got these yeah. perfect speech and they pronounce all the words perfectly and it sounds fantastic. Well, what are the Where reasons? That right, okay. So th- those guys like Alvar Liddell and Bob Danvers Walker, the, the guys who did the... Uh, Raymond Baxter, who was uh, a sort of hero of mine. Even though as a kid he was sort of a grey-haired older chap in a, in a tweed blazer. I thought he was cool. Yeah. And then I found out he was a Spitfire pilot and a rally driver and all that. And well, that's cooler than cool, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, man. It's like, but they always dress so yeah, well as people well, go, they? Yeah, people go, oh, so-and-so's cool. And I go, you know who's cool? Yeah. Raymond Baxter. <laughs> yeah. He was a Spitfire pilot. A rally driver, he did a great film that's on YouTube, if people want to search this, How to Drive in the Snow, for, like, some BBC show. It might have been, might have been, in fact, I think it was Grandstand, it's oddly, or something like that, and he'd go, and he's, he's absolutely hurling this mini around on this field and going, you need to preserve momentum, select a much higher gear than you'd normally use <laughs> and all this sort of stuff, and he's chucking this mini but about. It sounds so great when they're saying it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, but there was a reason, and I, and I found out... Because I've met, right, here's the thing. I'm going to say a name now, and if you don't know this guy... Oh, no. I'm going to slap you really hard. I like you, but I'm going to slap you. (laughs) Tony Blackburn. I've heard that Oh, thank God for that. Did Tony win I'm a Celebrity? He might have, like Foggy. That's another show that I've I've refused to watch. I'll get back to Fogarty in a second, I think. But I've been sidetracked by Tony Blackburn TV. Right, so Tony Blackburn, the first voice that was heard on BBC Radio 1. Yeah. He played the move, Flowers in the Rain, Since You Ask. Bit of a radio man. And uh, a legend, basically, uh, old Tony Blackburn. And I met him because he came to work at a radio station I was working at. And he made a point of introducing himself to people. And here's the thing, he knew everyone's name. He, he like, spoke to the receptionist and said, right, who's in Who's the, here? Who's here? Yeah. And he came up to him and he got, and he went, hi, Steve. Uh, I'm... <laughs> My name's Tony. Like, I wouldn't know who he was. He's, like, super famous. And he went, and he said, I've been in radio 38 years, but my hair's been in radio for 11 years. Like, because he famously wears a piece. Right. You know. Have you ever thought about that? Because you're wearing a piece. uh, You're completely bald-headed. Yeah, but I shaved mine voluntarily. I didn't shave it because I was losing it. I know. You're one of those massively annoying people who could, could have hair but chooses to shave it all off, whereas... I'm ridiculously clinging to the last vestiges of what's sitting on top of my yeah, head. I mean, right I now. don't think I have as much as I did before I started shaving it, but. Well, I'll tell you something. I haven't grown it for years. I'm going to damn well finish this story for once. All right. 
So Tony Blackburn's talking to me. And he's doing it in that very precise enunciated where every word is quite precisely announced. There's a reason. <coughs> he started on the pirate boats doing radio from ships that were moored. I've seen a film about that. It was brilliant. The boat that rocked. Yeah. I went to the premiere. Let's not talk about it. All that. right. Anyway. Um, the signal was quite indistinct. So they had to speak incredibly precisely in between the records, pronouncing every single word really clearly. Okay. So that people could hear them. Right. Because they were listening on rubbish radios and the signal was By the time it made it to them, it was really rubbish, wasn't it? So that's why they started talking in a very distinct and clear way. So people could hear them. So people knew what they were saying. Not because he's like a massive idiot. What a nice guy in real life he is. Really? Unlike Carl Fogarty, that's not true. Lots of, people, <laughs> lots of people will tell you that Carl is hard work. And he was back in the day. When he was racing, he wasn't a particularly nice guy. Guess why? Super competitive. Very. Well, that's, I mean, that's where you've got to be, isn't it? And Hell yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hell that's yes. how you win races. Since he stopped racing, what a sweetheart. Well, he what wasn't there to make friends. He was there to win. Bang on, mate. Yeah, that's it. It sounds a little bit ruthless, but that's the way you've got to be, isn't it? It's, well, do you? For that, yeah, absolutely. I've never really met a nice, successful racing driver. I've met nice, successful retired racing drivers. Incredibly nice. Not doing that anymore. Yeah, nice, generous, kind-hearted people with loads of time for yeah. everyone. Actually, successful drivers. <laughs> well, they've got one-track mind. The only thing they're thinking focus, about is winning. Man. Yeah, yeah, absolute extreme focus. Absolute extreme focus on one thing: winning. Because yeah. guess what? The guys in second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, they're trying just as hard exactly. as you. Exactly. In fact... Yeah. Probably are, a little bit harder. Some of them are trying harder because yeah. you've probably got that bit of natural ability that sets you apart from everybody else. That's right, yeah. Yeah. I was going to tell you that story about Carl, wasn't I? You were. I went to his house for a party and he said to me... He rang me in a very the curt way that he had. Not exactly a great conversationalist, Carl. He rang me and went... Steve, do you want to come to a party? I went, uh, hi, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> and he went, yeah, Saturday. And then he went, oh, yeah, don't just come here and, like, drink your way through my uh, my alcohol. He said, make sure you bring a bottle. And then he said, and make it something decent, and then rang off. So I thought, right, okay, mate, something decent. So I knew that for some bizarre reason, our local Tesco had started to stock, they don't do it anymore, Krug which is like, I don't know, this is a while ago. It was well over 100 quid a bottle then. Was I mean, it? it's, yeah, 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 100 quid a bottle plus. Right. And uh, I thought, right, okay, Carl Fogarty, I'll show you. So I went to the Tesco and I said, uh, can I have, and it was a box on the shelf. They went, oh, we'll have to go and get it out of the safe. <laughs> they didn't even keep it in the stock room. The, it was in a safe. An empty box. For yeah, sure. it was an empty box. Yeah. So they went and got it. So I went round to his house, very nice house, in Blackburn. Here's the thing, right? When you go to Blackburn, Carl Fogarty Way, they've named like... They've got a street after him, yeah. A, 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 an impressive sort of ring road type, you know. Oh, was it a whole ring road? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> There's two famous people from Blackburn. Carl and uh, Barbara Castle, the, the MP. You've not heard of her, have you? No, I had no idea anyway, who that is. Right, she's very famous. Okay. Very famous woman politician. When there weren't many women. Before Thatcher, when there weren't okay. many women, women politicians. So there's Carl Fogarty Way. Carl lives in Blackburn. Carl's never going to leave Blackburn. All these people who bang on about the North, we're in Manchester. Yeah. The Gallagher's, oh, yeah, Manchester, Manchester. 
haven't lived here for 25 years. Have they not? They live in Notting Hill, don't they? Do they? Yeah, of course they do. It's like, he was up, he came up the other day for the boxing. No, it doesn't seem like the kind of person who would live in Notting Hill. You're joking, of course they do, they all do. Yeah. They can't resist it. But then, they bang on about the North all the time. Oh yeah, the people are friendly. Rubbish. I... I've got to tell the Carl Fogarty story. Then I'll tell you a story about breaking down a classic car <laughs> on the North Circular Road on a busy Saturday afternoon. At least you're laughing. Oh, yeah. Hopefully other people are. So I go round to Carl's. Ding dong. Carl comes to the door. No staff. None of that nonsense. Comes to the door. All right. Do you bring some? I went, yeah. Give him this bottle. He went, Krog. Is this stuff meant to be good? I went, I think you'll find it's one of the finest champagnes that's available on the high street, Carl. And he went... I've got four cases of this in the garage. <laughs> so I went, have you? He says, yeah. He says, shall we get it out? He says, I've never bothered with it. So I went in the garage, and there at the corner of Carl's large garage, among some other nice things, were four dusty cases of Krug Champagne. Michelin had sent it to him. Because you remember? It, it, oh, bloody hell. Right, do you remember the adverts with Carl, where he was, it said, that it was, because he was so skinny, if you remember back in the day, there yeah. wasn't an ounce of extra weight on it. There wasn't much on those bikers, was no, there? No, there wasn't. And um, and it said, the new Michelin man. And it was Carl. It was like, instead uh, of being like the, the complete like, opposite, like Bibendum, yeah. like Big Fat Bib. They've sexed up Bibendum. I hate those people that do that. <laughs> when you go down um, the King's Road and you see Bibendum, the restaurant there, yeah. and he's there with his monocle. He's lost his bloody monocle as well, Bibendum. He? He's a big, fat, jolly guy. The whole point was... Bibendum, he was meant to eat all, wasn't he? Because yeah. Michelin was saying, our tyres are tough. Because early tyres were rubbish. They, you'd go down the road and anything would puncture them. So yeah. Michelin were going, ah, Bibendum, he can eat anything. He eats everything. Tyre, uh, sharp things, stones, nails, screws, bits of metal, whatever. And then just recently, I bought some tyre chains made by Michelin. Very clever things. They're made out of like polycarbonate and stuff You bought like chains? Tyre chains. For tyres? Yeah. Right. For this country? Yes, it's going to snow tonight, mate. Is it? I am dying to use them. I've not used them. Yeah, but them. they don't know what snow is over here. I've had them a year. I lived on the East Coast in the States. I lived on the East Coast. That's, that's <laughs> snow. Over here, it's a light dusting and the whole world comes to an end. My first day of work in New York was in, in the blizzard of 96. By the time I got off the subway, the, the snow was above my belt line. Wow. That's, wow. That's snow. Yeah, I mean, um, this, these guys I know in, in Yorkshire, the Hebden Bridge Trouser Company. Anyway, we drank loads of that Krug champagne. Did you drink a lot of it, did you? A lot of it, yeah. <laughs> it was great. Fabulous. Anyway, yeah, what a nice guy Carl is, though, now that he doesn't have to like... Well, he's the reason I like um, Ducatis. Yeah. yeah. That was so weird he when was he was the like... The 851 or the 888? The 916, my friend. And the 916. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah beautiful bikes. Um now Carl's working with Ducati again. You see a lot. I saw something the other day. There's a new Ducati watch, and Carl was advertising it. I always thought it was a bit weird when he was a Triumph ambassador. He was like a Triumph ambassador for about 10, 10 years. Was he? And I always thought, what, what, I think of Carl Fogarty. I think of Ducati. Ducati, yeah. They're like inextricably linked. Yeah. So stop. Why Triumph? And I suppose it's like anything else. It's like they offered, I would imagine. They rang him up and went, will you be a Triumph ambassador? And he went, Knowing Carl, he went, how much are you going to pay me? And they went, a lot. And he went, great. <clears throat> but he loves bikes. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, um, he'd want to get paid, but he's he loves bikes. He really does. I mean, I remember I was commentating at um, an event, which was great when it started. 
It's like a lot of these things. I feel like those people who go, oh, when you go, oh, I'm going to Glastonbury, they go, that's great back in my they go, day. <laughs> yeah, man. They go, oh, it's yeah. not like it was back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I used to go back in they the day. They all say and it that. Was, Everybody It was that. great. Yeah. You could walk up to, like, you know, you two and just talk to them well, and all that sort of stuff. And you think, really, could you? Well, the drugs were better back then as well, weren't they? Yeah, everything was better. <laughs> yeah, the beautiful girls, like, loads. Yeah. And you could go where you liked. You didn't really need to pay. You could just wander in. They didn't really mind, yeah, you know. There's yeah. none of this. All the freedom. Security and rubbish anyway so uh, this event called um, Dirkwake which used to be great and I was I was the I suppose I was like the, the sort of the MC yeah yeah I was the MC yeah uh, I was dressed as a football referee for the entire duration of the event in the stripes in the in the black outfit with yeah. the and I kept giving people like yellow cards and red cards <laughs> for misbehaviour it was a lot more fun than it no, sounds that, no actually does sound like a good time Carl was racing uh, in this street bike race and he was racing this Triumph and he had a massive accident really yeah because he was bloody trying really really hard to win of course racing dirt track race lads who were racing dirt track half his age yeah so semi pro sponsored factory riders. Carl's mixing it with them on these road bikes. Carl's like twice the rich, and he's and he's he's get, he's winning. Yeah, but he had a big off. I worried. I ran towards him. <clears throat> he had this big off, and he did that thing where he sat up and then immediately collapsed. Oh, like that's... like he'd been shot. Yeah, and I thought, oh, that's not good. But it was ribs. It was ribs, which will... Well, that'll put you back down to the ground. Yeah, I found that out a couple of times. Yeah. When I've jumped up and gone, I'm all right. Oh. No, I'm, not, yeah. <laughs> I'm all right. No, I'm yeah. not all right. No, I'm not all right. At that point, you realise it hurts to do absolutely anything. So why were you riding the subway in New York instead of, like, tooling around in, like, a, a Crown Vicar or some sort of... Uh, uh, having a car there is a hindrance. In New York? Uh, absolutely, yeah. It is, isn't it? Why it were is. you... You weren't living on the island, were you? No, were... no, I was in Queens, Astoria, a town called Astoria, which is, is, is right over the 59th Street Bridge on the... Uh, the 59th up, Street Bridge. That's it, on the other side of the East River. So it's, it's a mostly Greek and Italian neighbourhood. It was ah. a brilliant, brilliant place to live. Loved it. It's... Uh, but yeah, I mean, get, having a car, I had a car there for a while, but you'd get home from work and drive around in circles for 45 minutes to an hour trying to find a parking space. You could have got a bike. I did a thing, getting with Ducati, getting back to Ducati, I did um, a course in Italy with, and there were two people on the course, me and Tyson Beckford, the Ralph Lauren underwear model. Yeah. <laughs> what a dude! Yeah. What a cracking bloke! He was on the, I think he was, they did... MTV did a thing, the 50 most beautiful people that have and ever he was lived. I think he was 10th. Was he? I think he was 10th or something <laughs> like that. And he was a real, he told me, he lived in Harlem. You know, yeah. he's, he's like... I've uh, been to Harlem many times. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he said, when he got his first big check for, from Ralph Lauren for like modelling undies, he bought a CBR 600. Did he? Yeah. And he said, and I was told that there was a giant billboard with me on it in Times Square. He said, so as soon as I picked up my brand new bike, I rode down to Times Square. He said, and there I was, like, 90 feet high on the oh, side yeah. of this building, in my pants. He's telling me this story <laughs> yeah. while we're having a drink in this hotel. And he said, in my pants, he's, like, got hold of it. Yeah. And he said, I'm looking off, and I'm thinking, oh, 
God. Because, of course, he's a dude. He's from Harlem. He's a biker. He's not some airy-fairy fashion guy. No, no, no. He's thinking about what <laughs> the lads are going to say when they find out that there's that's this right. giant... He's come from a completely different life, that's for <laughs> there's sure. There's this giant picture of him just in his undies. Oh, yeah. What the lads, he's like, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> and this cop, this, he said this cop comes up to me with his nightstick out and goes, hey, you, move, like this. And he went... That's me. And the cops like, if you don't move, I'm gonna, you know, all this sort of stuff. Because he's going. Times Square was different back then, Steve. Oh, Times Square. There was a time when Times Square was was not a not a pleasurable place to go visit. Absolutely, it was rough. Is it like Piccadilly Gardens just around the? By the way, if you come to Manchester, <clears throat> the Piccadilly Gardens, which is right in the centre of a city, is uh, basically a dreadful place. Yeah. Well, yeah, Times Square was the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. There was, there was full of scumbags. Full of scum. <laughs> yeah, don't get your phone out. We were watching out of the window and there was a, a woman walking down. That always sounds horrible when I say a woman. A lady walking down the street. And she had a phone. We saw this guy following her because she had a phone out. We shouted out the window. We shouted her out the window. Put your phone back. She was like so encapsulated in what she was doing on the phone. I was thinking, you're on the streets of a major city in the north of England. That isn't particularly. Yeah, you've got to be careful, haven't you? I mean, nice. Times Square now is is a fantastic oh, yeah. place. Oh yeah, tourist destination. Back isn't in it? the seventies, it was terrible. I went to see Jackie Brown, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah, which controversially, I think is his best. No one else thinks that. Just me. Just me, perhaps, and Michael Keaton. All right, that's it. We're the only ones who think that's yeah. Quentin Tarantino's best movie. And um, so. Th- this is back in the day. You'll remember this. Back in the day when movies came out in the States before they came out Way before else. they came out. Way before. It was, wasn't it years? Well, it wasn't years, Joe. I think that was... Well, it felt was... like years back then when yeah. I was a kid. It so felt like a very long time. Super cool. <clears throat> yeah. Because you saw things. So we went to see Jackie Brown in this flea pit cinema on Times Square, which was great. And it was a real sort of scuzzy, feet sticking to the carpet, you know, <laughs> had a certain aroma about the place. But that was great because it was that kind of movie that was... It was a the theme, wasn't it? Yeah, sort of down at heel, the underbelly of, of polite society, yeah. the, the characters, the De Niro. don't think he's ever been better. Well, he probably has. But anyway, there's a scene in that movie where Robert De Niro's character is trying to find the VW microbus that he's arrived at this shopping centre in, and he can't find it at the car park. Now, we've all been there. Yeah. We've all been oh, there. Oh, that's going to happen to me when I leave here today. I know it is. Well, will you not do what he did, which is shoot his female companion? I didn't bring my gun. Who gets, <laughs> who gets on his case. And he, and he unexpectedly, I mean, it's one of those things where Tarantino's brilliant at it. Where you just think, what just happened? Yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. that. Like you, yeah. you're not quite looking, and you think, what just happened? I ill-advisedly stood up and applauded because she was really getting on my nerves. Bridget Fonda, I think one of the last films she made before she sort of packed in acting. She was brilliant. Yeah, uh, and she played the most annoying person you've ever met really well. And Robert De Niro's character just shoots her because <laughs> he to shut her up. <laughs> and I stood up and started applauding and thought. And I got so much hate, and I thought, look where we are. Are you people not from this milieu? Do you not understand? I'm surprised you're not, like, shooting me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was just <laughs> quite surprised. We were in New York, and we were asking why you weren't, you hadn't got a motorbike like Tyson Beckford. My bestie. When I got back, I'll just tell you quickly. When I got back, my daughter, my eldest daughter, who's, who's mixed race as well, like Tyson, uh, he was a bit of an idol to, you know, she's a teenage girl. She was like 13, 14. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I got back and I went, uh, uh, 
you want to speak to my new bestie, Tyson Beckford? She's looking at me, and I had him on the phone. And I goes, and I, I said, I'll speak, I put it on speaker, and I goes, hi, Tyson, it's Steve, Steve Berry. And he went, what's up, dog? Uh, <laughs> where, you, where you are, all this sort of stuff. I said, oh, I'm just with my daughter. You know, it was like the Tom Cruise thing. I'm just with my daughter. She wants to speak to you. Yeah. And she was like, her eyes nearly popped out. She was like, no, don't. No, 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 no. But then she was talking to him, and I thought, that's a good story for her to tell at school. Absolutely. Can yeah. you imagine? Oh, yeah, sorry, I didn't see Hollyoaks. I was too busy talking to Tyson Beckford, <laughs> the MTV host and Ralph Lauren underwear model. Girls. That's a yeah. Good, that's a good brag. My dad's new bestie. I've never yeah. spoke to him since. No. Because why would you? It's one of those things where you sort of work together. You know, he does. he's in his world. I'm in my world. Wish I was in his world. He gave me one of the best quotes ever that anybody's ever given me, <laughs> right? So we're doing this Ducati course, and we're there for like three days. And we're doing one-to-one with Dario Marquet, and it's unbelievable. Our lap times, I'm telling you, man, our lap times go nuts. It, uh, what you realise is a really good teacher can improve your driving or riding so quickly. Oh, yeah. But they can only take you so far. They can only take you as far as your ability can go. Right. But it's exciting to go that far. But then it's a bit depressing to realise that you've arrived at the place where you can't really get any better. And are people still whizzing by you? Well, he was. Yeah. No one else was whizzing by us. <clears throat> there were three groups out. There was, like, the beginners, intermediate, and advanced. We were going past the advanced group so fast on the same bike. Yeah. I was like, woohoo! <sighs> but then Dario, I've told this story before many times, I'm in a corner, and there's photos of me, and I'm like, properly off it i'm like knee on the floor virtually elbow this is this is before it was commonplace this yeah. is you know a while ago it's like the early 2000s now they're drifting them around the turns yeah man but i'm off the bike like you know it's like wow is that you i'm like you cheeky bastard yeah uh, sorry yeah that is me <laughs> yeah that is me oh really so yes really that is me right and dario just appears in the corner next to me while I'm doing that, while I'm leaning off the bike, like I can hear like Wagner and I'm thinking, <laughs> I am on it. Right? No. Dario appears next to me on the same bike, on exactly the same bike, completely unmodified Ducati 1198S or whatever yeah. it was. It was, I lose track of the variations. The same bike virtually, but from 15, 16 years ago. And he's pointing at where, he's pointing where he wants me to apex. And then he sort of just rides off away from me. And I'm like, how are you even doing that? Yeah. We're on the same bike. What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing that I'm not doing? You're maxed out as much Completely as you can possibly maxed go, out. And That's... he's giving you instructions on, on the yeah. bike next to you. He's got one hand on the handlebars. And with the other, he's pointed at where he wants me to apex because I'm slightly... You realise how precise they want you to be because you think, yeah, I'm doing it. And they're going, no, no. And you think... It's an area the size of a coin, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. you're thinking... It's kind of just there. And yeah. he's going, yeah, but that's the difference. If, you, if, you, if you're where you are, you're not quite lined up for the next corner. Yeah. And if you don't get that one right, then you're not lined up for the big important corner that's coming up in it's two or three corners' there, time. And that's when we, get to, when we start to look at your lap times, it's because your brain is going, well, that's good enough. No, no, no. It's not good enough. That's the difference between wobbling idiots like me and people like him. But yeah. anyway, <clears throat> I was saying why Tyson gave me the best uh, the best line ever. So we're like there the second night, and the first night had been early to bed job, but second night, 
he's like, we're going to have some fun tonight, Steve. I'm thinking, hey, I think so. <laughs> and this was in Manhattan? No, this is in this is in uh, in Italy. Oh, in, in Italy. Near, near the, at uh, Misano. Well, just oh, up right. the road from Misano, the circuit, in a place called Catalica. And we're in this incredibly swanky hotel that they've stuck us in. And uh, I come down. So swanky that it's like... Right, get this. This is this is how you realise that you're in somewhere really swanky. No reception. Yeah. None. Just like, do you know what it was like? The Matrix. Not the not the new film, which is rubbish. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. No. It's all right. There's, if you're middle aged like we are, then there's bits of it that kind of. It's one of those things you've got to watch just because you watch the other ones, isn't it? But, yeah. But it lacks the innovation. And the originality and the style, I think, of the original. Well, I mean, when they the, came out, the they original were just something else, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. Well, that's why I'm saying. Yeah. When you <clears> went <throat> to this hotel, it was like being in the Matrix. Was it? Yeah. There was just, you know, like there's like Morpheus, and he's just in that room with that battered leather chair, and he's yeah. wearing all the. Well, that's what it was like. <laughs> we go into the reception area. There's no desk. There's no nothing. There's two people stood there, a man and a woman, immaculately attired in some sort of crazy uniform. They know everything about us two. Ah, oh, Mr. Beckford, Mr. Berry. So, so nice. In perfect English, of course. Yeah. So nice of you to join us. Everything's been arranged. Everything's been, uh, you know, you'll be dining like this. And I'm like, this is weird. That, but then you think this is, this is what it's like in this world. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's effortless. It's Don't have effortless. Don't about anything. It's all planned for you. Yeah, everyone's gorgeous. Yeah. Everyone's perfectly dressed. You realise afterwards that there was probably a lot of running around when they saw you on the security cameras coming up the of drive. Of course, yeah. And then they had to move Who's all... Who's that? Here they are. Who's that? They had Who to move that? all the real stuff <laughs> that makes things happen and then push the gorgeous people out in yeah. front. They said, right, don't, don't forget the names or whatever. Anyway. So I said to him before we went to the rooms and I said, uh, so are we going out? And he went, he stopped. He put his... Forefinger in the middle of his chest, and he went, Out comes to us. Like oh. that. And I went, and I thought, What does he mean? So we're having a drink, you know, we, later on. So about an hour later, just went up and sort of washing a brush up, came down. And uh, we're having a drink, and I went, Out comes to us. And he went, And he, he looked across the room of four of the most beautiful women I have ever seen in my life have just walked into this bar. <laughs> And they come over and sit with us. And I'm like, is this really happening? I mean, we're lucky, aren't we? It's sort of, in in, in what we do, and at some point we must get on to what you do, but I'm having fun anyway. That's all right, yeah. <laughs> we get to be in situations where you have to check yourself and go, is this happening? Like, for instance, being in that hotel with Tyson and out coming to us in the form of these impossibly beautiful women. It were a bit boring, to be honest. We just ended up talking to each other about motorbikes. Um, or, for instance, being in a four-car Bentley convoy, thundering down the motorways of England at illegal speeds, I have to say, if we're honest, although I don't think anybody's speedo could, could have been said to be accurate. They're all completely inaccurate, every yeah, one yeah, of them. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> in other words, passing <clears throat> every car on the road... That, to me, is... In a four-car amazing convoy experience of hundred-year-old cars, hundred years old, hundred-year-old yes. cars passing everything, yeah, and people's reaction, people just—I love it. I, do I, you know what? I Mo look in people's yeah. windows just to see their reaction. Yes, exactly. And it is priceless, and it's and it's such an incredible experience to do that. How do we get to do that? Well, we we'll do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
What you've got to do is, like both of us, you've found a way, I've found a way. There's no way that we could afford... There's absolutely to... zero chance that I will ever have a W.O. Bentley in my life, But ever. we've managed to spend a lot of time with them because... We're fortunate enough to know some fantastic people who own them. Fantastic people. <laughs> and, and, and when I say fantastic, that's an understatement because they truly are. And they're hard to know. Incredible, that, incredible group of people. They're hard to know because you generally find, I think, that a W.O., if you're a Brit, I'm sure it's the same for every car country. And when I say car country, I probably mean Britain, Germany, France, uh, Japan, America. That's about it, really, isn't yeah. it? The major manufacturers of motor vehicles. I probably missed something there. But where there's still the uh, massive passion and enthusiasm and knowledge... So, you know, and, and when I say the States, I've only really found that in a couple of places. Right. In California and in, in Detroit. Yeah, Cali, definitely. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. California car culture is the equal or, or the better of any anywhere in the and world. It's very, very diverse over there as well. There's a bit yeah. of everything. Although they don't really get this driving 100-year-old cars really fast on the road. No, I mean... And also their racing's a bit timid, isn't it? The historic stuff. I mean, the, the regular... historic racing, yeah, they, they The don't... regular stuff's nuts. When the first time you see NASCAR live... That's you, have you seen... it's... Oh, it's absolutely insane. No, there's, there's... You can't put into words to describe what it's like to have that many cars pass a wall that you were very close to pretty much all at the same time. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, it, it will take the hat off your head. The wind... And the noise is is just like it's incredible. I think there are two there are two motorsports that television massively diminishes: NASCAR and the TT. Absolutely, yeah. Because they really don't give any idea of what it's actually like. Well, watching when you, NASCAR when, on a TV, it just looks like a bunch of fat cars driving around, not particularly fast, but. Because there's no context. No, that's that's the thing. Yeah, I went to we went to Bonneville. I went to Bonneville. I went to Bo I went to Bonneville. We went to Bonneville. Yeah. We went to Bonneville to make a film, and we went out in the hire car on the salt, and we had warning after warning saying, "When you get out on the salt, watch your speed, because it's really easy to there's start." No reference. No nothing. Yeah. So they said it's really easy to start going fast without any any. Idea that you've got you nothing fast. flying by your windows. They said, and then if you have a problem, you've got a problem. And yeah. they said that the week before that speed week, some people from Wendover, which is the nearest town there on the border, yeah, um, had gone out on the salt, lost a wheel in like a hole in the salt, like driven over it at speed, and it had ripped a wheel off the vehicle. Yeah, one of them had died walking back to town. Because it was that far and it was that hot and all that kind of... They were locals. That's amazing. So I thought, yeah, got out on the salt. Bowling along, going towards where the camp was set up for the speed trials. I looked down, I was doing 90. Yeah. I felt as though I could jump... I, I felt as though I could have stepped out of the car and walked alongside it. We were doing 90 it was miles very an hour. barren, isn't it? No context. No... Nothing to give you an idea of how, actually, how fast you're actually yeah. going. However, when I broke the record or set the record for achieving the fastest speed inside the train that goes underneath the channel. Yeah. Ask me about that one, Joe. About the train 
that goes inside the channel. Right, okay, well, I'll tell you then, as soon as you insist. (laughs) I, I, to this day, will claim that I hold that record and that it'll never be broken, and I'll tell you for why. We were going on this rally in France, me and my pal, Anthony Reid, the historic racing driver, one of the house captains at Goodwood, at the Revival and Festival of Speed and all that, and a thoroughly decent chap, dear friend. We got on the train... Um, in a Jag, in a brand new Jag, yeah. going on this rally in France. When I say rally, I mean a glorified swan about in a car with stickers all over a it. A tour. Yeah, loads, of, loads yeah. of big lunches and loads of big dinners and all yeah. that with a bit of spirited driving in between right. for a few days. We get in the train, and this is at a time when you could get in the train and be right at the back of the train. Okay. And we were the first people on the train. And Anthony said to me, Steve... You have to take this opportunity. <sighs> it may not come your way again. Floor it. Oh. So I floored it. Now, I couldn't look at the speedo, obviously, because I'm in a Jag. It's quite it's a Jaguar saloon car. It's quite big. Yeah. It's quite wide. And I've got... You don't have a lot of room on there, do you? I've got inches right. on either side. So I'm concentrating on not having a horrific accident, and Anthony's watching the speed. Now... What if was any, the breakneck speed that you achieved on the train then? He reckons about 63, 64 miles That's an hour. That's impressive. We got, when we stopped, I'll tell you what as well, Joe, it was like, it was like being inside the Death Star. <laughs> I can imagine it must have been. You're it driving was. very quickly through what is basically a, a tube. A tube. <laughs> it was. Right. So, <laughs> it doesn't sound that fast. No, but right. it is. I, I, it made it made my knuckles sweat. Yeah, right. we got to the other end. <coughs> oh, did that cause trouble? Uh, yes. Oh, did yeah. we get a bollocking? I'm sure you did. Staff appeared after after a few minutes of calm. Staff started to appear. Yeah, increasingly senior members of the tunnel. Loads train. of high vis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People with clipboards yeah. and security people. But here was the problem. They, there was talk of throwing us off, but they put us at the... We, other people have come on You're already me. on there. That's yeah, we're on. Like, <laughs> yeah. so, 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 so there you go. Anyway, so people say, well, right, so there might be people listening now going, oh, we're going to France, I'm going to... Bloody Steve Berry, I'll show him. Uh, they've changed the I don't policy. think they'd allow that mistake to happen they, twice, would they? They load from the other end. Do they? Yes. And that's because of you. It might be. It, I've, it I, probably <laughs> is. It probably is. See, that's... Quite an accomplishment. See, here's the thing. I'm telling this story in a slightly boastful way. All right, a boastful way. It's really, it was a really stupid thing to do, wasn't it? It, it? it was, but I can tell you that if I had somebody telling me to do the same thing, I would have also done it. I'm not blaming Reedy. I could have just said, no, don't be daft. That'd be really stupid. But I just thought, he's right. Yeah. I'll never get this opportunity again. So you are the fastest man in the, in the world in on the, a stationary channel tunnel train. Yeah, inside a train. Yeah. I wonder if anybody's been that fast inside a train ever before. Well, I'm sure we'll see something on YouTube soon. <laughs> yeah. No, right, uh, please, yeah. whatever you do, don't yeah. copy me. Yeah, you know it here first. Have <laughs> a hideous accident and then go, I only did it because yeah. Steve Berry said he got it. I'm surprised Jackass hasn't tried that. Have you seen the new movie? I haven't yet, That's no. Great. They're really? lunatics. Yeah, they've got young people. 
in as well. Well, as well too, as I think. Yeah, as well as the old guys. They're I, kind I of noticed, passing. I notice there's a lot of grey hairs in the adverts. Yeah, they're passing the baton. Yeah. I, I went with my son, who's 25, to see it. Yeah. And we both laughed like. Oh, they're, they're hilarious. All the It's so stupid. Yeah. I spoke to my missus, uh, uh, who's in Vancouver. And. Uh, she said, oh, what have you been up to? I said, oh, me and Ed went to see, my son, went to see Jackass Forever. And she just guffawed, like the snort of derision. Oh, right, yeah. We, I don't know if there's oh. a single woman who's ever lived who's enjoyed a Jackass movie. Well, I, I just don't understand it the way stupid men it's understand so it. It's so stupid. <laughs> it is. But here's the thing. I, I saw something recently. Johnny Knoxville, was whose real name is Philip Clapp. Did you know that? I didn't know that. You changed your name, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So he's right. So he was basically saying the whole point is they get accused of like being macho idiots, but he said the whole point is none of us is a macho idiot. No, they're not. We're genuinely afraid. We're genuinely scared of it. We're not like going, and it wouldn't work, would it? If they were like full of bluff and bluster. No, it wouldn't at all. Piss and wind, going, oh yeah, bring it no. on! I'll, it, it'd be horrible. No, they're, they're genuinely terrified when they're about to do something. Yes, because it's ridiculously genuinely terrifying and almost certainly painful as well. Now here's the thing. So to bring it back to what is supposed to be a motoring podcast, <clears throat> we ended up talking a few of us the other day, about the difference between Nitro Circus and Jackass. So, of course, Nitro Circus, with Travis Pastrami and his buddies, doing all the motoring, because they're basically the motoring, they're the internal combustion-powered version of Jackass, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. That's what they're doing. And they're related to Red Bull as well, and Red Bull's known for doing completely off-the-wall stuff, aren't they? But the point that somebody made was they said, well, doing... The jackass stuff, none of them has been, like, killed or seriously injured. Nobody's ended up in a wheelchair. I no. mean, they've had serious injuries, like, you know, like... Um, There's been lots of broken bones and jaws and all kinds of stuff. Well, right from the start, the logo's been a skull with crossed, uh, crossed yeah. Um, crutches. Yeah. Yeah, which is a great logo. But... The Nitro Circus thing takes it to a different level, doesn't it? They're bonkers. The, the problem is with that, because everything's happening at much higher speed because it's internal combustion rather than... The Jackass stuff is all human-powered. It's all human-powered skateboards, it's BMX yeah. bikes, it's it's whatever. It's, it's Mobility scooters, it's, yeah. that's about yeah. as the fast golf as it cart. gets. Yeah. The golf cart, I think... And here's the thing, that's interesting. I think the golf cart was the biggest injury they've ever had. Well, that was a pretty bad one. Yeah, and you it, think... Yeah. You think, uh, yeah, as soon as you start getting things with engines, as soon as you take the power source from being a human being as the power source on a skateboard or a bicycle or whatever it is, and you start to motorise it. The biggest problem they had on the current movie was the the, the travelator, the um, the treadmill, the treadmill gag. Yeah. That was the... That, that was the worst injury that they had. So you think, yeah, as soon as you motorise this sort of bad behaviour... It ups the game. It ups the game. Yeah. And I think Nitro Circus, a pal, of, a mutual friend of ours, he's been my mate for 35 years now, we went to Nitro Circus in Manchester. Yeah. And we watched them do this stunt where they got people out of the crowd to get on this motorcycle which then did a backflip okay yes they I, got, I like, definitely would not participate in that was it three or four people they got three or four people on a bike and did a backflip and me and nick big nick who you yeah. you know well and he's <clears> one of my best and, and longest lasting friends which probably says a lot about him as well as it does about me not good necessarily but 
We are mates and I've been for a long time. We both concluded that it was a fix and that the people in the crowd going, me, 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 who wants to do this? Were plants. I just, I can't imagine that they would pick out just a regular person from the crowd to backflip a motorcycle. Which is, with four people on the bike, four people. That's just, I don't, it's got to be fixed. It has to be. For insurance reasons, it would have to be, wouldn't it? The next night, so they did it. The next night they did it in Glasgow and crashed and everyone ended up in hospital. They were just members of the public. That's, they, that's yeah. just that's crazy. It, it only really came out and was confirmed when the next night, because in Manchester it nearly went badly wrong. Yeah. They, you just think, yeah, this is really sketchy. Well, it just doesn't seem like four a good idea. Four people on a bike four, doing a backflip. And people who've, who've never done that before yes. and don't know how to move yes. their bodies yeah. the correct way. That's recipe for disaster isn't it <laughs> it can be yeah, absolutely yeah <laughs> so did you manage to inveigle yourself into the world of expensive cars so that we could hang around with the people that we do without having to actually spend whichever astronomical sum of money is normally required to access these vehicles well i restore them yeah but i know that but people restore y- y- the, the restorations that you do pretty high end i mean people restore triumph spitfires and yeah, you know yeah stuff like that you're you're not doing that well i i try to you if you you want to try and get a good caliber of car in your workshop because it's it's a lot easier to to get paid for the work that you're doing it's you could have a an mgb parked next to a car that's worth five hundred thousand pounds and they've both got the same problems it isn't any less work because yeah. it's an mgb yeah so the more expensive the car is, the... Metal bashing's metal bashing, mate. Or is it? Or is it? Well, it depends on what kind of level you're taking it to. It's, you know, you can you can do a repair on a car and then cover it with a thick layer of filler and get it looking really, really nice with a thick layer of filler, or you could get the metal to a really high standard where it needs very little filler. And, and that's the difference between, I think, the difference between a good restoration that will, will last a long time and a quick restoration that perhaps won't last as long. Dude, they used to fill in the factory. They did, but not, as, did. not as much as what lead. you might see on... They used lead, didn't they? Yeah, but it wasn't... When know, did that stop? Amounts. People are still doing it. I do no, it from in, time it, to time. No, but in the factory, lead, lead fill. You'd see lead uh, fill from the factory as late as, what, the f- 60s? Well, I think Bentley was still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny how people say, handmade... And, you, and they think that's the ultimate. But then they find a flaw, and you go, well, that's unmade. It's like with a suit. Yeah. Like, so, uh, I was going to say, how much do you think this suit that I'm wearing costs? Uh, <laughs> 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 but I won't say it that. It looks like a fine suit, Steve. It is. It's it's comedy gas, yeah. actually. But, um, but it's... it's, it's um, so, in terms of a car, this would be like uh, an expensive... Um, BMW or Mercedes because it's a pile of money but it's still off the peg but there's still a difference yeah but there's a difference between like a 150 quid suit from Next or H&M or whatever and a no I'm not going to say how much this one was but quite a bit more than that but then there's a yawning chasm between that and Savile Row yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, you're you're paying for the name as well, aren't you, with Savile Row? It's, I don't think so. But it is, I mean... Yeah, I don't think so, because some of the most famous names on Savile Row have gone bust. 
in recent times. Some of, you know, some of the most tailors that have been there for hundreds of years, you know, and you think, well, they're just going to go on forever and ever, and they've gone. And that's a real shame. Yes, but other people have come along to take their place, you know. But I think... We were going to relate this to cars, weren't we? Yeah, somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say there's, there's now a, a situation in the car world where there are so many people who, I know this is a bit convoluted, but I'm going to go for it anyway, yeah. who were like Savile Row. You know, they are not just a couple of times more expensive or three or four times more expensive than a nice off-the-peg suit from Hugo Boss or Paul Smith or Armani or whatever, yeah. they are 10 times. Oh, there's 20 times. Absolutely, yeah. So, And there never really was that, was there, until recently. There was there was Aston Martin and Ferrari, and there was Bentley, and there was Lamborghini. Yeah. But there wasn't Koenigsegger and Bugatti as we know them now, and Rimac, and all these other car companies where they actually produce a tiny number of cars but the the price is absolutely Ludicrous. astronomical yeah. and they don't seem to be short of customers well it's the exclusivity isn't it that's that's the whole thing is is people who are buying cars on that level for that kind of money they want something that there's hardly any of them there they want the the label of the most expensive car or the fastest car and we were talking about this the the other day do you know the second most sold car in the UK is a Mercedes? I the, can believe that. Yeah, you, you only need to go outside. You see them all over the place. Yeah, but back in the day, if you said to somebody, and that day would be the 80s, the early 90s, if you said to somebody, oh, yeah, uh, got Mercedes, they'd be like, Oof, really? Wow. Yeah. It was a big deal, wasn't it? But leasing them now makes it very easy to, to get a car. Well, Mercedes didn't make a <clears> dink, <throat> dinky little hatchback runaround thingy. No, no, the, no. The cheapest car they made was the 190, yeah. which was a fantastic Brilliant. Car. Well, all the cars, all the German cars from that era were, were fantastic. They're brilliant. Yeah, but a 190, it's hardly a ball of fire. Little, what was no. it, a 1.8, two-litre, four-cylinder engine, something no. like that, in, in most of them. And just a four-door three-box car. Yeah. But back in the day, if you'd have looked at that in comparison to a Ford or a Vauxhall or something like that, that was the same size, same engine capacity, the Mercedes would have been significantly more. Absolutely. I think you'll find. Yeah. So it was a big deal to have a Mercedes. So in in a day when the... And look at BMW with the 1 Series and yeah. stuff like that. When the currency has been devalued, when, they, when they've cashed in, and I get get why you do it, you build up your brand, you build it up, you build it up, and then you go, right, boys, time to make a five-door hatchback for the uh, mass market and cash in. Yeah, well, I mean, BMW have got so many models now, it's it's crazy, and so many different variations of each series too. It's, it's crazy. I don't know why they come up with all that. Yeah, and so... If you're P. Diddley, or whoever you are, uh, I met Will I Am at Goodwood a couple of years ago. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Nice guy. Very softly spoken gentleman. Very, yeah. Didn't, he, he had a very, he had one of those handshakes that's a bit like, some, somebody said this. Is I, it one I, of those little mincy? Right, well, I'll tell you something. I, th- this <laughs> it, might it be, wasn't a proper man shake. Really, I'm supposed to be a writer. Because I, I, I know you like your man shakes. I do, I like a man shake. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm... I've been doing more writing recently than I have uh, 
in, in quite a while and I've been enjoying it because when you write for a living after a while, after a few years of hitting deadlines, doing magazines and stuff like that, you really start to not want to do it because yeah. it's just a chore. It's a very solitary experience and I'm a social person, you know that. Yeah, yeah. And um, anyway, uh, so I wrote, the, a guy said to me, you know, the best thing you ever wrote was when you were writing about when you were on this chat show. I was on a chat show on ITV back in the day. Uh, the other guests were so get this it was Esther Ranson was the host do you remember do you know who she I is? remember her right yeah. okay thank yeah. you thank you for that. <laughs> she was super famous she was the host I'm trying, this is I'm a, trying not to this is a much. prime time TV chat show Joe I wasn't watching it I was on it right so it's a prime time TV chat show yeah. and the guests were Sir Norman Wisdom alright Joan Collins Dame Joan Collins and me Right, can you imagine? Joan right. Collins. Yes, Joan the Collins. Joan the Collins. Joan Collins. And I wrote about it afterwards and I said, I was introduced to Joan and shook her hand. It was like being handed a small songbird that had recently died. Oh, I know <laughs> said, exactly that's a, what that's a, Yeah, it was yeah. sort of a warm, soft... Yeah. There was no pressure of any kind. There was a tiny I amount guys of... I who shake hands like that. Well, I am sh- shake hands like really, that. Really, that really yeah, is yeah, very yeah. irritating. I, I don't yeah. know what to do when a person I don't. shakes my hand like that. Yeah. It, oh, at the other end of the scale. It's an uncomfortable feeling. At the other end of the scale, <laughs> there's the idiots who try and break your fingers. Yes. But, uh, as I'm reasonably well built, I normally just give them a bit of a squeeze back. Yeah. What you notice with those guys is, when they eventually release the grip, you can then tie... Like when you're doing... I got taught... Wow, we are getting... Well, they catch you out and you can't tighten your grip up. No, you can't. Because they're, they're grip too let, tight. Yeah, you've got to let them release. <laughs> yeah. And then I got taught, I used to work in Somerset for five or six years in the southwest of England where the national sport is arm wrestling. Is it? Oh, oh yes, boy. Well, there's two sports down there, Skittles, Skittle Alley. Skittle Alley. Skittle Alley, right, in Somerset. Yeah. And arm wrestling as well. There's a guy there called Tony Steele, and I never saw... Well, that's t- a name for an arm wrestler, that is, yeah, isn't man. it? God, Tony was as broad as he was tall. Yeah. Never saw him bested in arm wrestling. And he showed me how to do it. And he showed me. What will happen is, the new guy, who, the big guy, because th- Tony wasn't that tall. He's about five seven, five eight. but like I say, yeah. about five eight wide. So the big guy, who'd think he could beat him for money, the people who'd be throwing money down, loads of, loads of big notes going down on the table when yeah. Tony was arm wrestling. And he'd, he'd assume the position, and then they'd take a grip on his hand, and then as soon as they released it, he would take his grip. All right. So he said, when somebody takes the grip, let them have the grip. Then as soon as they release, take your grip. Do not release it cause, until it's ready to go. Right. Assert your dominance. It's the same with it. Well, because it's, <clears throat> it, most of it's about what he also showed me was mainly about speed. It's how quickly you can force. Because what had happened inevitably when, when I saw him doing it was they'd be in the pub, somebody say, come on, Tony, this guy reckons... There'd be some guy who hadn't seen Tony who'd go, oh, I believe this guy's in here, who's it out? And then some giant bloke would go, oh, where is he like that? Yeah. And then yeah. he'd see... I'll have him. Yeah, I'll have him. <laughs> somebody would start going down. And then what had happened is the person who was adjudicating would go, go. And before he'd even said it, Tony would have just slammed the guy's arm, wham, like in the blink of an eye. Yeah. And then that person would inevitably go, oh, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> yeah. well, you're supposed yeah. to be ready, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about that. Yeah. It's That's not it. about, you're supposed to be, no. When he says go, you go. 
but you can do that with handshake. When the bone crusher comes in for the bone crusher handshake, yeah. let him do the... And then as soon as he releases the tension, crush his hand I'm going to try that. <laughs> do it, do gonna, it. I don't get too many bone crushers. <laughs> but People when I do, I'll definitely try that. The handshake's coming back. I'm a, I'm a big believer of the handshake, and the past couple of years where I've been worried that somebody's going to attack me for reaching my hand out because of COVID, I haven't been able to do my handshakes. It's, it's coming and back. And it's really bothered me a great deal. Do you know what I'm not doing? What? A fist bump. I don't like the fist bump. I do like a good bro shake, but that's an American thing. I guess you would probably well, wouldn't No, know. you get to do that. That's that's the, you know, the hand this way. Yeah. And then the arm around the back, bit of the back right. slap, draw them into each other. That's, that's, that's the American bro shake. So just think, you could have stayed in New York City and never got involved with cars? I could have, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I worked on cars in the States. Yeah. That's where I learned my trade. Yeah. So what's what's the exciting project you've got on the go at the minute? I've, I've seen your social media posts about the Pagoda. You've I've got the Pagoda. Doing I've, a lot of work on that. What what? Tell us about the condition, sort of condition that car was in when it came to you. Are you allowed to? Is it? Is yeah, it, I mean, yeah. It's, it was probably the worst one I've ever seen as far as Pagodas go and probably a little bit beyond as bad as it could get as far as... So, repairing it, it the, the gentleman who owns it absolutely adores the car. Yes, I was going to say, <clears throat> is it a labour of love rather than an investment? It's, he's not There's no it. way this car would be done for money. It would be crazy and never make sense. He won't lose money on it. Right. He'll, he'll break even, which honestly, if, if you can break even on a restoration, you're doing really, really well. Unless the car's worth a ridiculous amount of money when it's finished. Jay Leno. We, yeah. we, we might finish with Jay Leno. Yeah. Um, as we sometimes do. If you're making money restoring cars, you're doing it wrong. Right. Yeah. 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 If you're the person who owns the car. Yeah. 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 But the other one I've got is a, a 72 oil clapper Targa Porsche. Yeah. Yeah. And? That's it. Well, at least there's less of it to do because the, the roof's made out of, uh, what is it, fiberglass. It, it's uh, what is it, leather clad or vinyl clad something or other, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about that. I was talking but about those that. things are, are rock boxes, all the air cooled Porsches. Thank you. They just phew, disappear. Thank you. Yeah. What are the reasons um, that German cars. This, this was mooted the other day. One of the reasons that Porsches and Mercedes um, rotted like they did from that era was because they were better engineered than other cars, so the engines didn't leak oil. Right. What you want. Yeah. <laughs> you, want a, a big, <laughs> you want oil all over the splashing bottom of the car. Off, splashing yeah. off. That's why there were so many of those old British bikes. That yeah. <laughs> still, that's it. Because every time they were in there, they're all... wipe it off and you've got yeah. perfect paint underneath it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Listen, mate, we've barely talked about... I know. ...what you do. But that's all right. It's been a laugh, hasn't it? I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. you got to promise me you'll come back. I'll definitely come back. Absolutely, of course. Whenever you want me to, I'm happy to come. That's it for another episode of Steve's Speed Shop. Don't forget, we are now on Patreon, and that means you can directly support the show and ensure its continued existence by making a financial contribution. Uh, please do so. We're at Patreon. It's dead easy to find. Just put Steve's Speed Shop Patreon into Google, and it'll take you where you need to go. 